0: Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. everyone welcome to this week's podcast today we have jade kagalawan who i worked with uh to start with at a legion's uh, when east west players and japanese american cultural community center did it a little more than a year ago she was the company manager uh she now works with me at east west players as the arts education and professional enrichment program manager <laughs> she I had to write that one down because it's a long one she's a freelance <laughs> stage manager who has worked all over the Southern California area, and she also teaches stage management at Cal Poly Pomona. So for people in LA, they know how far away that is. Uh, for people outside of LA, just it's not quite in LA. Uh, so welcome, Jade, to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, so
0: one of the things we always like to start with is how how did you get into theater?
1: Oh, um Man, that's a loaded question. I mean, if you really wanna know um uh, no, Yeah, cutting sometimes this out. it literally <laughs> takes like forty
0: five minutes for people to answer that question. We're like, and yeah, there's a podcast.
1: <laughs> if you really wanna know, um when I was God, I wanna say when I was like two years old, um, you know, every Filipino kid's family was really into Lea Salonga and so my family mm-hmm was obsessed with her and like the documentary that was behind the scenes for of Miss Saigon and they were watching it constantly and i was just really had no idea what the show was about come to realize at the age of 18 that it was a completely inappropriate musical to play around a 2-year-old <laughs> <laughs> um but i was a really bit. <laughs> yeah just a little bit i was really in awe of the behind the scenes um which i guess kind of Lends a hand to my interest in stage management because I loved seeing all the rehearsal footage and what happened backstage, and the chaos of it all. Um, and that just kind of, from there on, I've always had an interest in working in theater. And so, you know, just like any other kid, I I was in the drama club when I was fourteen, fifteen in high school. Did that whole thing, you know, all throughout high school, was a drama nerd. And then in college... Did you grow
0: up in LA or did you grow I up did. somewhere else? Okay. Yeah, I
1: grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I went to um, went a Catholic private school uh, <laughs> all my life. Um, in high school, I went to Chaminade. Um They actually have a really great uh, theater program. Uh, so when I was there, it was like a little cafetorium type situation. <laughs> it was a cafeteria set up to be an auditorium on the weekends. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, the, yep. at the time, the students just we built and designed everything. And then when we got to, I think my junior or senior year of high school, we had a new drama teacher, and she's still wonderful. But she was like, "Let's let's have a little more supervision on the building of the sets. Let's let's have you know an actual TD kind of looking over things and <laughs> making sure, making sure safe. everyone's safe, you know." <laughs> Um and of course being a teenager we were like what do you mean you're taking our creativity away and now as an adult I'm like oh yeah that was totally not safe <laughs> <laughs> it was not safe what we were doing <laughs> um so then I went to college at Cal Poly Pomona actually for my undergraduate like, was well, died so no yeah exactly <laughs> um so I went to to Cal Poly Pomona for my undergraduate um and I actually started out as a communications major there. Um, but my mom actually told me that I should change my major.
0: Wow. Usually which... <laughs> we're all told to not do something yeah. <laughs> To change to something more realistic.
1: I think because she saw how committed I was to it in high school. Because literally, I was actually thinking about this earlier. If I wasn't in the drama club, I would have been doing nothing with my life. <laughs> yep. I, there was nothing else that I really cared about. I would have just slacked off in school um and so my mom was like you should just do it like i see that you really love it and that you really commit to it why don't you just make it your career and i was just in shock of that because i had been told throughout high school that i should pursue a career in psychology or something you know in the medical field just like any other asian kid <laughs> yeah better piano <laughs> yeah right can't, like major in that yeah so uh i was like okay so i'll do it and that's uh just since then, theater has just been like an actual career for me, and it's great it's it's amazing.
0: <laughs> How did you decide to go to grad school? Did you go right after undergrad or did you give it a couple years
1: um so i didn't I, I i did go to grad school right after um but the first program I went to wasn't uh University of Nevada las Vegas it was actually cal State northridge um and I thought maybe okay, so- I'll get my master of arts there and then get uh uh get my PhD in theater because I wanted to write books on theater history and I was getting really into Asian American theater history but then all of my assignments were write a 20 page paper and it'll be due in one week and I was like yeah no I'm done not gonna do this <laughs> um and it was I, I uh <laughs> It was bad, but while I was in school there, um, I actually started looking into MFA programs, and I was like, I missed stage managing, and I was like, I want to do this. I always knew that I wanted to go into education, um, but I didn't exactly quite know what to do with it, and so I applied for the MFA program at UNOV and the reason for why I say that it was a bad thing was because the chair of the MA program or the head she had actually given us all of these articles on why getting an MFA was bad and how it was better to get an MA and i was like oh, whoops <laughs> but That's, what's an MA an MA like a, a master of arts as opposed to a master of fine arts right so an MA uh, It just kind of is like the road path, I guess you could say, the road to getting a PhD. And the PhD is the terminal degree in terms of just writing scholarly journals. It's basically like if you want to have a career, a full car- it's hard to explain. But basically, if you want to go to a college to teach theater history or theater critique, mm-hmm. um, you would get an M.A. and then a Ph.D., Um, And then a PhD obviously allows you to publish um, articles and um, all of that kind of fancy, fancy Mm -hmm. schmancy stuff. (laughs) An MFA is more terminal, is a terminal degree. Uh, It doesn't exactly lend you over to the PhD path. Um, And an MFA is more, I guess you can say, as opposed to being theory driven, it's more... um, what you do so you can get an mfa in acting yeah yeah you get an mfa in acting can get an mfa in stage management design whatever it may be um but that's basically it that's that's what it is and your whole focus is going to be on that particular whatever that that emphasis is so um theoretically it should be an intensive program but that's uh Some people can argue against that, depending on the program that you're talking about. But I won't get into that.
0: (laughs) That's that's interesting, because we've talked to a couple people who are working on, like, uh, Jen Spears. Sears. Sears. I forget her married name now. Um, She's going to school and she is writing a book on theater history and stage management. Mm -hmm. But I think she's getting an MFA, not an MA, right? She she has her MFA already. She's getting her PhD. Oh, okay. No. But I think yeah, but she, she did, did get MFA. her MFA first.
1: Yeah. You can, I mean, you can go that route if you want to. It's just a lot of the time people tend to go the MFA route and then they're just done yeah. um and right. so I am not in no way <laughs> uh as much as I love history, I don't I don't think and I came to realize this like I said when I was at Cal State Northridge, that I this it was not the path that I wanted to go. That um, you
0: enjoyed history, but that's not what you wanted to do. Yeah, with I
1: didn't want to write books or twenty-page articles, scholarly journals on on theater history or critiques. And um, as much as I love reading and research, it wasn't quite my quite my path. It's more like a hobby, I guess you can say. Uh, right. Just learning and reading more about uh history whatever just in general but um i just like i said i just always knew that i wanted to go into education i just didn't think it was going to be in that way of taking the ma phd route um so then i went on to unlv and i got my ma in stage management um but it was really uh and i think that was what really kind of opened my eyes up more that i really wanted to pursue a career somehow education um and it wasn't necessarily through the department of theater but it was through the department of education there and some of the professors there were just so just powerful they were just really they really empowered people especially um especially marginalized groups actually i mean they had a lot of classes that discussed um multiculturalism on campus and diversity on campus and understanding the specific uh, issues that each marginalized group goes through. Um, and I I never thought of any of these things as, I mean, I knew that they were issues, but I never really put a lot of thought into it until I took these classes um, at UNLV. And I was like, this is, I mean, obviously like at the time I was like, I don't know how I'm going to, Take this, but this is all really just important information for me to carry with me. And now in my position I'm like, oh, let all of these things happen for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Because you uh you only started <clears throat> at East West Players um, as a full time position a month ago, yeah. two months ago?
1: Two months ago.
0: Yeah, and it yeah. was because Andy Lowe said, Hey, this position's open, yeah. you need to apply for it. basically. And, and that was it, but you seem to fit perfectly in it.
1: Yeah. I'm really I'm really grateful that that I was able to slide into it so easily. And I think a huge reason for that is just because, I mean, of the people that I work with and the people that I'm just surrounded by working here everyone here is just so great and i've always felt since i first started freelancing with east west players a year ago how comfortable i felt and i've never felt that way with a place that i ever worked before and so it was really it it was really nice it was really nice it felt like a really good fit i still i mean when andy was like hey you should apply i still thought why <laughs> I <laughs> still thought that I was not qualified for the position at all. <laughs> but, um, and I still wasn't really convinced until, actually until I really got the Theater for Youth tour going. And I was like, oh, this is why they wanted me in this position.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I know it was uh, a discussion with us on staff when we were looking at hiring people. Mm-hmm. There's the admin and education part of it, but then there's also the producing shows like The U yeah. Tour is a um brand new work that Prince? Yeah. Prince wrote. And it has a couple actors, but it gets in a van and travels all over the LA area. Mm-hmm. And so she's had to like figure out a set to build, figure out lights, figure out sound, right. figure out what van to put everything in, book yeah. schools. So uh so I think your stage management I was big in that because I was like, "Oh, Jade knows how to be a stage manager. She can definitely organize and figure this
1: out." <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely been a very fast paced two months here, <laughs> yes. but it's been it's been really. I mean, it, it, sure, there are stressful moments, but. I I don't go home feeling like oh why I hate my job (laughs) (laughs) I go home and I'm like I'm tired but I feel so fulfilled like I actually feel super fulfilled by my job but what I'm doing um and I think part of it is just because you know I get to bring this show to places and to people who don't have this accessibility and I think I think that's why that's part I know that's a major part of why i i love doing this so let's see how i feel in a year i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) exactly we'll see how it goes once you have one or two shows under your belt see what happens yeah
0: (laughs) but i wanted to go back i had a few questions about grad school just because we don't talk to many people who go to grad school so when i was in grad school like my whole focus was on stage was the MFA stage management program and like, I couldn't even really take classes outside of that. How did you even find the education program? Is it something oh. like, were you encouraged to look outside of stage management or outside of the school of theater? Or did you just happen upon it? Like what even made you do that?
1: Um. Oh. So the reason, I mean, I just, how did I, Um, I, I think it was my friend who actually told me about the program because most, if not all, of the grad students are expected to teach an undergrad class, but mm-hmm. a lot of us had never taught before. And so hey. we were all just kind of in this weird, like, what do we do? How do we teach this class? Um, and so one of my friends who was in the stage management program with me actually uh, told me that there was a higher ed grad certificate um, at UNLV that you could, um, where you could take the cl- the classes. And I think it was only like, it wasn't that many classes I had to take. I think it was four classes, which I mean, in the graduate school load, having to take an additional four classes is a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. But my program was thankfully really flexible in what I needed to do. Um, and in terms of like what I needed especially with the type of classes that I had to take in order to fulfill my, all of my requirements. Uh, so I got, I got really lucky, uh, in being able to, to finish both. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I found it. And so I, I looked into it further. I took, I took the classes that I needed to, and, uh, I, I just had more of an emphasis on understanding, um, I guess, in, in the art, the Ed the education world, it's more of a, an emphasis on administration or um, student services because it focuses a lot on um, student population and uh, demographic and how to work with uh, students in terms of the type of personal issues that they're going through um, and how that affects their studies. Um, but you can choose whatever. I mean, there is another path where you can um, study sports in education. Um, one is more so, I guess you say like the business side of arts of education. I keep wanting to say arts education because of my title. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, and a lot of the time That's too. Really awesome. Yeah, a lot of the time too. Um, from what I saw, the people who were in the art, the Higher ed certificate program with me ended up actually pursuing um a master's in education going that route um i didn't uh because I didn't want to stay in Vegas for another two or three years um, understandable Get yeah uh but I mean if they had like an online uh program, I would totally do it just because i just I just find the whole educational world fascinating in terms of how they uh navigate through. Uh, the student psyche, I guess you can say, but also working with mm-hmm. the government and funding and how to better support not just your classes but your fellow peers as well. So, Interesting.
0: I never. Yeah, I've never talked to a teacher. I always just assumed they taught you how to like make lesson plans and what yeah. books you should teach from or anything right. like that.
1: Yeah, it's you know. That's one of the last things I would say, at least from my experience. Uh, I'm sure there are other folks who have had to um, where that's their main focus, um, especially if your emphasis is in teaching kindergarten to eighth grade or high school level. Um, But when you're looking at more of the, I guess you can say admin side or on the side of uh, student services, whatever it may be you're you're looking more into uh the other the other side of it that a lot of people don't really get to see. So and I think that's that's part of why I got really into education because it was I saw that it was it was more than just teaching and uh how to teach your students and how to get their attention, but it's also Understanding the specific issues that happens in the Asian American community and how this affects their studies—it's really interesting. It's really fascinating stuff. <laughs> that is really interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's cool that they went into different like backgrounds. And yeah, because I, I mean,
1: there's literally a a book that there are two books that I got for this one class. One of them is called Multiculturalism on Campus. I actually have it at my desk because uh, it's 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 actually really useful in terms of figuring out different workshops and programming, um, but they talk about the specific issues that each um, marginalized group goes through, whether you're a member of the LGBTQ community or, you know, you are uh, you're Asian American or you're Latinx or you are Black or whatever it may be. Um, they talk about the specific issues within each and even the interactions uh, that one has with other with other groups and then another book that i had to read was called um uh why aren't we there yet and it's just about how do we tackle uh diversity and inclusion on campus and why haven't we gotten to that point point? and they talk about some things like with um uh, like with students and how you know their fraternities or sororities who still do some pretty racist themed parties (laughs) you know things like that and why do we accept these still in our system and so on and so forth so it's really yeah i uh like i I think this was the time like i've always been aware of racism but i think this is the time when my eyes just kind of like opened up even more my brain was just like wow (laughs) all of these different perspectives where do i begin
0: (laughs) Did it help you understand some things like, oh, this is what other people are seeing when they see me, or this is how I'm treating other people who are a different race or different orientation?
1: I think it definitely helped me understand more about myself and the the views that other people had about myself. Like, this was when the same class and the same book also helped me understand more about the the model minority myth. um, And... I always heard about it, but I never really fully understood its impact on other ethnicities and how the model minority myth was actually created. What is to, that? Yeah, um, I don't know what that is. Oh, so basically the model minority myth is when Asian Americans are seen as like the smarter oh, minority. It's like we said uh, earlier, like you have yeah. to be a doctor
0: or play the piano. Yeah, like that's exactly.
1: Or, you know, they are... Um, more spiritual, so they don't need any anyone's uh help or wisdom, you know, like like the Mr. Miyagi of karate Kid, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> they're always seen as like the fragile docile submissive um so these are all different different characteristics of the model minority myth, right, and so this was created to basically um Put especially uh latinos and black males down it was created to make them to for people to say hey uh you have these asian americans especially asian american males who are doing so well they're doctors they sub they're submissive to you know the white male and how they make all this money blah 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 uh why aren't you like this? Why are you doing this and so because of this, not only did it did it lower um did it make black men and latino latinos or hispanic however uh whatever the term they identify as uh it not only made them seem lower and worse but also it made them not see asian Americans as a minority, if that makes sense. Um, right, and because so, now they're like
0: grouped in with the right
1: white, right. white and s- people, more or less. Yeah, but then because they're not white, then they were just kind of off in this re- weird land of other. And so there was no, it's always, and it's still like this today, um, and I think, you know, people are starting to become more open with the conversations, but definitely the model minority stigma or model minority myth whichever you want to say or whatever term you want to use um it it has definitely created a separation between um between the different groups and so instead of you know coming together and understanding like Hey, and then within that, (laughs) and there are all these different layers, right? There's uh, within that, you know, Ali Wong makes a joke in her stand-up about the Fancy Asians and the Jungle Asians. I don't know if you've heard that one. No. <laughs> I haven't heard that one,
0: but she's she's hilarious. I've watched a couple of her other ones.
1: Yeah, and so within the Model Minority Stigma, you have the Fancy Asians and the Jungle Asians, right? And so, <laughs> and so what she said is that the Fancy Asians are those who are Korean, Japanese, um, Chinese, and then the Jungle Asians are Vietnamese, Filipino, oh, Cambodian, And so, um, and a lot of it comes down to, uh, simply, unfortunately, the color of a person's skin, right? And so, in, stereotypically, uh, people often see the jungle Asians with the browner skin, right? And the fancy Asians, and I'm holding up air quotes, you can't see this because this is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um... The fancy Asians are whiter skin. Right. Whiter, paler skin. um, Mm -hmm. And often historically also had a greater um, uh, Western imperialism influence, right? And so Mm -hmm. within that model minority stigma, you have the fancy Asians being seen as like the better Asians and then the jungle Asians, not so much. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of history I could go on for hours about the model minority stigma and the history behind it, but we don't have two hours.
0: (laughs) I think it's interesting because I am very, uh, I'm very useless on telling people apart. I'm like, yeah, that's, that person's just a person, right? That's a yeah. white guy. And that guy might be half-black. <clears throat> and that guy's Asian. And people are like, well, is he Chinese or Japanese or what? And I'm like, I don't know. Right. And Andy asked me earlier, he's like, what would you think? Is this person more Asian-looking or more black-looking? And I was like,
1: H- how am I supposed to know?
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's a headshot. It's a person.
1: Yeah. Um. I, th- I And, you know, it. it definitely comes from a place of, like, of, I guess, the type of uh the amount of awareness that you've had to go through life and like being told like hey this is you're not this enough i have definitely been told that i wasn't asian enough by many people and i was just like well first off i was born asian so that makes me more asian
0: than you yeah <laughs> how can we be asian enough like what is what is their standard yeah, asian? i know
1: right I because well, you weren't
0: born over there when you were born here does uh, that make you not asian enough
1: i was told this um by actually a white woman who yeah cuz she knows <laughs> asian right are. because she claimed that she knew so much about asian cultures and what i mean when i say asian culture she had lumped several cultures into one culture which is already like oh god what are you doing um but because she would watch anime and because she was a huge fan of like uh World of Warcraft and played it all the time and you know read manga Which and isn't even knew an how to speak game. right like, World of Warcraft <laughs> is
0: based in
1: California I know <laughs> but because she like played uh computer video games, games and, and video games and you know Interacted with more Asians than I ever had in my life. She told me that these are her literal wor- literal words that she would make a great Asian housewife. And she told this to me and my friend who is also wow. Filipino. And she and I were just like looking at each other, like, "What did she really say that?" <laughs>
0: right? Like, Why? how do I even respond to that? That's <laughs> yeah. so weird. Like sometimes uh we have a friend Darlene who is Japanese. Uh what like fourth or fifth generation over here and sometimes I say I'm more Asian than her just because she doesn't really like she likes Japanese food but she'd Mm -hmm. rather have southern food or something and we drink my husband and I we drink more sake and we take off our shoes when we come in the house and stuff like that and she's like I don't know how to make mochi I don't take my (laughs) shoes off I don't do any of that stuff and i'm like oh come on darlene like your parents can teach you how to make this she's like i fail at cooking i like teach learn so you can teach me so i know how to make mochi
1: yeah and you know i think because you know she's a she's fifth generation um some of it might have just been lost in translation or might have just been lost as the generations went on
0: she's just terrible at
1: cooking <laughs> <laughs> parents were quite Japanese. That. i was like yeah, i want to go over yeah. to your parents
0: house your <laughs> mom makes food yeah. your dr- dad drinks sake she she just
1: yeah didn't and really rub off on her i mean and i uh, i'm not saying that this is her specifically like in general too with um with my experience growing up being filipino-american and um from when i've spoken to other asian americans who have grown up or or experienced these similar things um i know with my family in particular uh they tried to um or they have assimilated more into you know uh western culture which isn't completely bad um but they it's it's it can be very self-loathing in a way um and that that gets kind of sad uh and so then I know with me, when I was a kid, I was trying to learn how to speak both uh, Tagalog and English. um, But uh, my grandma told me as I got older that she didn't want to teach me Tagalog because she didn't want me to have an accent. And she was afraid that I would be made fun of for having an accent. And I was like, oh, God, (laughs) that's really sad. Yeah,
0: even though you were born and raised in America, you would I know some people who can speak both languages and pick up the accent of the language they're yeah. speaking, but it's not like... I don't know, that's interesting that she was yeah. so afraid of teaching you a language because you might be made fun of. Yeah,
1: and I think... But I, yeah. I think there are a lot of people like that, and I think yeah. Darlene
0: faced a similar thing as well, that her parents in a sense, I think, and I might be misquoting Darlene, but you know, they were trying to make her as white as possible yeah. so that she would fit in and not get Made fun of because of her Japanese heritage, you know, and so I think there was conscience choices on their part to like not teach her that heritage yeah. or for her grandparents not to because of that because of that fear that that they had totally. which is you know a unfortunately but well based fear because of what happens in in our country, but yeah, yeah, I mean, not too
1: long ago, the internment camps and all that, mm-hmm. which. And I mean, even with myself, whether it was with my family, um, even with myself growing up and, you know, having a judgment passed on me for being or looking Asian or um mm-hmm. you know, I I made conscious decisions myself to be to be less Asian so that I could fit in more. Um yeah. or whether it was because I was told that I needed to be more Asian, you know, I was like, oh, well, screw you then. I'm going to not do that. You know, <laughs> like, why do you expect <laughs> me to be more Asian, you know? Or, you know, I I wanted to fit in more with my friends. And when I, you know, like I said, I went to a Catholic private high school and, and the high school that I went to had a lot of money. <laughs> and so... I I wanted a majority of my friends were white and I wanted to fit in with them more. And even my grandma, when my friends would come over, she made the conscious decision to not make or have Filipino food in the house. She wouldn't even offer them Mm -hmm. Filipino snacks. She would make the decision to have, you know, American fast food at the house to feed them, to have American snacks to feed them because she was worried that they wouldn't like it and then they didn't try it uh you know some of the people that i've been really good friends with they had known me since i was 15 they didn't try it till we were like 17 18 and when they finally tried it they were like this food is amazing like why haven't you why haven't you (laughs) been holding out on (laughs) it yeah i was like i you know i don't know and now you know as an adult i'm like damn my grandma (laughs) my grandma did that Yeah, as a kidding. You don't fun. think about it. Yeah, I was just always like, "Oh, cool, they're getting us pizza." Oh, cool, they're getting us Carl's Jr. You know, being a trash teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, fast food's delicious. Um, but now I'm like, wow, she. I think it actually clicked for me when my friends finally had Filipino food, and they asked, "Why haven't we had this before?" And then I thought to myself, "Yeah, why haven't they had this before?" And I realized that it was because they were worried that they wouldn't like it. so. But you ate Filipino
0: food at home. I did. So it was there. You... Yeah. They just didn't have it when other people were over.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It was definitely a conscious decision to do it. It was definitely like at the front of their brains, don't feed her American friends this food. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because we real. always, uh,
0: our neighbors growing up were uh, Mexican. Well, second or third generation Mexican. And Did Christmas time was the best time of year because they'd make Mm -hmm. homemade tamales. Yeah. And we would, like, wait for the beginning of December so that we could get a bunch of tamales and we'd eat, like, all of December.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, like I said, I think some of it has to do with, um, I don't want to say, I'm not saying that my family is self-loving. I'm saying that, like, um, there is definitely an assimilation factor into it Uh, going back into my family's history my grandma worked for um Subic bay and the philippines um and that's how she met my grandfather and so which is the american naval base in in the philippines and so um i think because of that that some of that influence made her go i need to be more american whatever that may mean mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. you know so I think that's what it was so you said you keep
0: at least one possibly two of these books that you got in school on your desk that kind of talks about these issues yeah how do you use those books for your job like what is it that you refer to and how do you bring that into your education
1: and outreach program that you do at east west players So, so some of what I do is, um, besides the Theater for Youth tour, um, the other, the professional enrichment aspect <laughs> of my job, the the second line <laughs> to my job, <laughs> is figuring out um, different workshops that apply specifically to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. Um, one of the main things that Carolina and uh, Snehal had spoken to me about with this job was um, understanding that, you know, East-West players was created for a specific demographic right it was created for a specific reason too though it's it's not just a theater company and it's not just an asian american theater company it's a theater company that is geared towards asian americans but also their issues and how do we uplift them how do we uplift the community um and so in terms of uh understanding the specific um issues that go into uh the Asian American community is understanding um, understanding what can we do in these workshops in order to uplift uh, the Asian American community or API community, um, especially in the entertainment industry. And so sometimes a reference to it because, you know, even I, I, I feel like that I come from a place of privilege in the sense that I have this position, you know, with a really great theater company that is well-known, right, in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, And so sometimes I can be blind to my own privilege of, oh, how do I do, what do I, what, what program should I bring in today? Oh, they should just, you know, for example, one day I was like, why, why don't I just bring in an improv program? And then, you know, Hall was like, well, how do we make it, how do we make it attractive? Or how do we make it so that people understand that, this is specifically for AP. Like what makes us so special though? Like they could go to Groundlings, they could go to UCB, but what is so special Mm -hmm. about, you know, an improv class or program through East West players? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. And so, you know, sometimes (laughs) these books that I had in grad school just kind of make me reflect and think more about why is this important? Why am i still doing this like why why do we still talk about the discuss- like why do we still have the discussion of uh inclusiveness um and representation in the industry um and so that's that's why i still have those two books and why i still uh, tend to refer to them because sometimes like i said i just i come from a place of of privilege in a sense so yeah that's really amazing Thanks. Uh, no, I—I
0: I mean, I work here, but I work two floors down, so I see Jade when she comes down to get water out of the cooler or something. Or I bother
1: <laughs> you and Andy. Yeah.
0: Can you help me unload a truck? <laughs> sure. Great. How Are we building the set today? Right. Which cool though. Yeah. That. Yeah. Why? Why take a class here versus a class somewhere else? What does it mean to work at East West Players? Yeah. To take a class at East West Players that is focused on it used to be East West players started as a Japanese only. And then a number of years ago, it changed to Asian American Pacific Islanders and all. Yeah. Um, Cause a couple of people, some of the older generation would say like, Oh, you how, how come you're working there? Like you're white. And I'm like, I don't know. Cause Andy, who's Chinese asked me like, <laughs> yeah. so it's not just, just uh Japanese anymore, which I think is great. Like I was thinking the other day who, who is in the staff and we have, Chinese, uh, Japanese, white, Asian, Mm -hmm. um, Filipino. Chinese, Vietnamese. Yeah, we have, it's like so spread out. And I was like, I don't don't know what everyone is. And that doesn't matter. But I think it's cool that it's definitely a conscious thing to not just have, you know, because I, being white, I can't be like, oh, this, you know, I grew up in this section or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so I know what it's like. But it's it's just opened my eyes a lot to that because I just didn't think about it. Yeah. Now it's a topic on a regular basis here. Yeah.
1: Me. I think too, um, and in a sense that uh, globally, I don't, or not, I don't want to say globally, nationally at least, I think with uh, within the industry that for a moment, huh, no more than a moment, for a while, we were thinking of Asian was more so the Eastern Asian. Uh, cultures right so chinese japanese correct but uh it wasn't until later on that we really thought about hey what about the southeast asians (laughs) you know south asians well even china
0: is huge yeah
1: and you know people don't think about like when in the discussion of asian you know when people say asian they don't think cambodian they don't think thai right away they usually their brains go to giant chinese or japanese mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. they don't think indian they don't think you know whatever it may be they that's mm-hmm. not their first thought and i think they're starting um and something that i have definitely seen too with um within the last few years here at east west players a growing awareness of you know defining what api is so
0: because even, uh, and you mentioned earlier when you said Asian, uh, also Pacific Islanders. Mm-hmm. Because when we were, Cindy and I, we traveled quite a bit growing up and we went to Hawaii a couple of times and we also went to Guam. Mm-hmm. And even though Guam is American territory, it was more Asian mm-hmm. than, than anything American. Like mm-hmm. our dad basically lived on <laughs> spam and fried rice for... Portuguese sausage. Forever.
1: Delicious.
0: <laughs> exactly. But when it's I think totally of Asian, bad for you. I don't necessarily think of uh, Guamanians or Chamarans, I think they're called because Chamara, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, it's an American territory. It's like, yeah, those people are, it's a territory. It's not just, you know, a state. And, they're not.
1: And it's not considered, a lot of people, it's not treated as American territory either. Yeah. Um, a lot
0: of people don't even know Guam exists.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's, uh, now, now I kind
0: of want to go back and be like, hey, do you guys do theater? <laughs> you're not a very big island. So you have to have at least one theater around, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, twins thinking. Yeah, I am. I'm wondering what the what is the outreach program? How, what do you call it? Oh, the tour so that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so uh the tour is called Theater for Youth. Um Theater for Youth. So yeah. what oh, okay. when okay, you created that
0: what was measures. your <laughs> purpose behind creating that? Is it to reach a specific population or is it to reach all the population and tell them about a specific idea or like what cuz you were saying how you're trying to create classes and stuff that connect with east-west players? Uh, mission statement more or Mm -hmm. less so what is this tour that you created
1: oh so i mean the tour has been around for a bit it's been going for a while since before even me or my predecessor um but um something that i talked about with my predecessor carolina with uh the theater for youth tour is and i thought it was a really great point um is that we tell American stories through Asian American narratives, um, meaning that our stories aren't always specific to... I mean, yes, there are historical figures that are specific to us, and we have had specific experiences. Um, so, like, with the the with the play Scrimmage that we're touring right now, they talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, but mm-hmm. with that historical reference with that fact with that happening um there have been other similarities other similar events that have happened in other cultures you know like with um like with Mexico and the border and um with uh Trump wanting to build the wall <laughs> right and um yeah and with you know with the united states experiencing deportations and um it's having other folks understand that you are unfortunately but also fortunately not alone in this issue this topic and so um Mm -hmm. telling these stories in that way um but scrimmage like while it mentions that it mentions more uh, the topic of toxic masculinity and the reason for why I feel this is something that is important to reach out to, to the youth of today about, (laughs) um, isn't just because like, you know, there is, there are some things in masculinity that are, that are unhealthy, but I think it's also that with a lot of first generation or second generation, um kids they get a lot of the toxic masculinity from or how ha- not get it but they receive a lot of toxic masculinity uh comments from um their fathers or from their cultures in general you know mm-hmm. uh you know I-, I talk to people a lot about this subject about you know like the whole machismo complex <laughs> and how um basically when you look more so in Latino culture, there is uh, the idea that, you know, men have to be macho all the time, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's relatable in many other uh, cultures when it comes to the view of the male, right? Uh, and so in this show, uh, we talk about that, you know, and understanding that, you know, there are... Men in other cultures as well, or who come from other ethnicities that also have this experience of understanding, like this is, you know, we're told to be more manly, but you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to not feel your emotions to be more manly. Like being manly can be feeling your emotions or knitting a scarf, whatever may be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) um. i think uh again i guess that's like going back to my books of like the view of the male in every uh culture and how uh it has proceeded in history i guess you can say yeah so it's a lot that's- it's heavy stuff <laughs> Yeah, I don't realize it how, how much I contemplate every day. I'm like, no wonder I'm so tired when I get home. Yeah. I feel like I'm more exhausted that nowadays than when I'm stage managing. But I feel, not not that I don't like stage managing, but I I just feel, I think it's just because like I feel more fulfilled with all of the things that I have to do with this job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, awesome. it, it's
0: bringing... It's bringing theater to not just youth, but to underrepresented cultures or to people who yeah. don't feel like they have a spot to go. Yeah. And uh, earlier today, I did a, a tour of the theater with uh, two ladies who do ballet. And one of them was a ballet dancer and one of them was a teacher. And they want to do a <laughs> a ballet based on zombies, Romeo and Juliet, After They're Dead, which My. I thought was excellent. <laughs> and I said... I, I, they said that they are very inclusive and have lots of different people, but not just races. Because when we were talking about it, I said, well, well I, you know, made a joke and I was like, why well, can't dance? I'm too top heavy. I got big boobs. And they're like, no, exactly. That's just it, though. Like, we have people who are not skinny, white, petite dancers. And they're trying to include everybody. They're like, we have people oh. who are 70 years old. We have people who that's amazing. are of different races. We have people who are not petite, who are bigger, who have boobs, who have hips, who have right. all kinds of stuff. And they're like, that's <clears throat> the best part is that they can still dance. And I'm like, that is excellent. Because you think about arena, you think like thin, skinny, yeah. no ounce of body fat. On right.
1: Them.
0: So I was like, that's excellent that they are including people because, yeah, why can't I dance? I'm terrible at it but if i wanted to <laughs> like, there's many reasons why we can't dance but... yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to you could do it that reminds me of this video that i saw actually it's one of those it was one of those like viral videos on facebook and uh um it was plus-sized uh pole dancers
0: yeah well i, I worked in pole dancing for a while side story
1: oh oh, really i wasn't a pole dancer
0: (laughs) i was the assistant to sheila kelly who runs s factor which is a pole dancing studio but yeah it was they people of all sizes and it's a workout
1: yeah it is people yeah again it's just like giving awareness to things that people just don't really think about for sure um, I think it's great in this age of social media, like while there are, are definitely a lot of cons to it um one of the pros is definitely has definitely been bringing awareness to these kinds of things of of inclusivity, and that you know, yeah, we may think that a ballet dancer is a stick skinny person who only eats two thousand cats. well not only. That's a whole other conversation of how much they eat. It's crazy. Actually, they eat a lot.
0: I did Um, (laughs) watch a video of this. She was a prima ballerina, and she went through her day, and she had, like, a corn dog for breakfast. Was it on Vice?
1: I I think it was Vice. But
0: yeah, it was impressive
1: how much she ate constantly, Yeah, but she was also working out, like, 12 hours a day. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, she started off her day working out, and then she did the dance classes. I was like... And you get to have a corn dog for breakfast? That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want a corn dog for breakfast. I know, But I'm
0: not working out nearly that much. No, yeah. I like, walked up the stairs to the bathroom and was like, oh, If I, I had, had the dog. same
1: diet, I would not look like that. Yeah, exactly. But it was so cool to see it because it was
0: breaking the stereotypes of they eat nothing. She ate a lot. Yeah. And it wasn't just like carrots. She was eating steak and corn dogs. And the- yeah, she did eat a lot of nutrition, like-
1: you know, fruit and vegetables and stuff. But it wasn't just that. The math was crazy, though, because she would be like, yeah, I burned this many calories, so I have to consume this many more in order for me to hit this cap of whatever the math, I think it was like 2,000 calories or maybe more than that.
0: Yeah, because she's like, I notice if I gain half a pound, I dance different. So she knew exactly down to half a pound what she needed to stay at to dance her best.
1: Yeah. It was, it's crazy. And she was already like 118 pounds or something like that. But it was all muscle. 118 yeah. pounds of muscle.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, now I it's should nuts. find it and, and tag it. But no, it was, it was excellent you to see. Now I want to watch that video. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. really interesting. Fine ballet dancer video. <laughs> see if I remember what that means in a day or two when I write this up.
1: <laughs> if you write the note, corn dog, you'll remember. Corn dog. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> we will post it because it, it was just really cool yeah and well we didn't talk much about stage management because i didn't realize that your job here was so exciting <laughs> <laughs> damn I'm terrible That's okay
1: <laughs> i can talk a little bit about it <laughs> no, yeah, i don't know how much you edit out
0: yeah we don't i don't think i edits out that that much
1: um should I talk about with stage managing?
0: (laughs) the arts education stuff. We have five minutes left. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We tried to keep it to an hour. Uh, Kind of, I guess, going into stage management, so these, jumping back to college too, the education and learning about different cultures and uh, learning how education works with those, Mm -hmm. how do you feel that has helped you or has it helped you in stage management and dealing with Actors, directors, designers, people from all over the place. Or
1: do you even consciously think that those classes related? I don't think it really... I don't think it really related, honestly, um, when I think about it. Because the places that I stage-managed for outside of East-West Players were just... uh, They were not very diverse.
0: (laughs) I worked Uh, in a very non-diverse
1: place. Yeah, so... um, I never really... Thought about it. I mean, stage management has definitely helped me with this job for sure. I have that advantage, uh, so juggling everything has been uh, mostly good. I would say uh, everyone's telling me that I'm doing a good job, so that's good so far. <laughs> um, but the other way around, not not really. Now that um, now that I really think about it, um, yeah, I I mean. Uh, i'm thinking about it i guess in a way like thinking about um the different power dynamics um in terms of supporting the director um and how that translates into education or vice versa but not really so not really yeah i think about it not really no interesting <laughs> yeah um but it worked in the opposite
0: direction that your stage management experience and education is helping you do the education part now,
1: you know? Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, there are times, it's not that I don't miss it. Um, but I think at the end, I, I wasn't really feeling fulfilled by it in a way I, I kind of ended up just feeling like, all right, here I am. (laughs) <laughs> like that, you're you know, just doing for a job yeah like I just kind of felt like I was doing my job um, and you know I the only reason for why at times that I, I feel like I miss it is because I miss the people that I had worked with before um, mm-hmm. and I would see them because I was stage managing with them or I was working with them on a, on a show or with a particular theater company but otherwise uh, I don't really miss the job itself who knows my my fiance likes to joke around and say that in about a year or so, I'm going to be tired and I'm going to miss these managing, but... I feel like, I feel like t- taking a step yeah. back
0: gives you kind of a perspective because yeah. when I was working at S-Factor, um, I'd had a tough theater experience and the company failed and all that. And I was like, screw this, I'm done with theater. Like, yeah. I want a stable job where I go to work nine to five and I get normal paychecks and all that. Mm-hmm. And I did that for like three months and I was like, nope. Nope, not working in this environment. Yeah. I gotta go back to theater and because it just wasn't i mean it was a pole dancing exercise class, but it just wasn't artistic. It was too
1: boring yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. and I missed the the arts and creative and the people and the atmosphere yeah. and the feeling and stuff like that, and then I haven't left theater since then.
1: I think that's why i'm am not too worried or I'm not too. I don't miss uh stage management so much because I still feel like in a way I am stage managing right now. Oh yeah. I because mean, of re- the amount that I have to manage, right Yeah, <laughs> Scheduling,
0: and conflicts and Yeah. You're We're still working with well, you're still, you're still yeah. in the arts and you're still like around exactly. artistic people and you're still like making art happen, which I feel yeah. is, you know, so much of stage management. So it, even yeah. though you're not stage managing, you're still like surrounded by those
1: people which Exactly. Is, and I feel like too part. Yeah, and I feel like too. Um, I guess kind of looping back to what I was talking about before. Like I, I, I figured out what I wanted to do um, in education. Like this job solidified right. it, you know. And I, I am doing everything that I've always wanted to do in one job. I'm not working three different jobs like I was before yeah. <laughs> in order to, feel, to fill story. all those different areas. <laughs> so it's really nice to to be in one spot or technically two spots. Cause I'm still teaching on the side, but,
0: but you're still, yeah. Growing a program and developing, not de- kind of developing, but growing the program and working in the arts to, yeah. to help educate everybody. Yeah.
1: And it's on a whole other level of, of, you know, not just supporting a show, but supporting a whole community yeah. of people. And that's, it's a crazy and intimidating feeling, but it's also really great. A great feeling too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh theater, the mixture of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, art in general, I guess. Uh. <laughs> uh well we're getting close to the hour. Um and I think Wait, I, think- I add another question. Can oh, you okay. like go home at night and not have to check your email?
1: You know, okay. DJ- uh Technically, I can't like, do that. Managers, I feel
0: like okay. all I do as a stage manager, production manager, is like every twenty minutes checking my email or my, you know, my phone's buzzing about something that went wrong. So I'm just curious if you've been able to get away from that.
1: Right. Technically, I don't need to look at my email, but I'm so hard used to, to break. looking at my. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> oh my god. What's the saying? Habits die. What habits have, have die hard have, have it, I don't even yeah know something like is. that it's yeah <laughs>
0: I'm just curious uh,
1: <laughs> it's really hard like uh I have finally gotten to the stage of I don't need to respond to that email okay, uh, that's good. and I just star it I put a little I hit the star on gmail but <laughs> uh it's really hard to not look at my email uh, and I'm trying really hard to break that because I know it's going to drive me nuts one day, uh, especially when we get to gala next month. But (laughs) um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, you're a stage manager too. (laughs) It's it's all I do. And my husband's like, we're on
0: vacation. Can you put your phone down? And I was like, because
1: something's going to happen. Oh, I have had arguments with my significant other about me being on the phone too much and i'm like it's because i'm a stage manager i have to respond yes. <laughs> to this email and he's like you don't love me anymore i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 uh he doesn't say right. that but you know there's definitely like you're on your phone too much why are you on your phone too much you know conversations yeah you yeah. know. Yeah. And again, it's those habits, man. <laughs> I, I ran away,
0: so I might have missed some of it because I had to go to the bathroom. But uh, I, oh. I'm trying really hard to try to work on, kind of work on that separation. Because I, when I was at uh, my last job, I was so constantly working, and then when I oh, left wow. that job, I was like, oh, I, I feel like I, like nine years of my life. What did I do? Yeah. And so now, since I'm only part time at East West, I try to like turn off my email connection to my phone on the weekend Mm -hmm. but i have four other theater jobs going on right now too so i still have that going so yeah plus i i tell people like like you or whatever like you have a question and it's not my working hours like text message or a call like i'd rather just answer the quick question or know what's going on instead of coming in four days after the last day at work and then have five million emails of people freaking out
1: <laughs> i remember when uh there was that day when you hadn't been in for four days and you're like i need to catch up and it was like 3 p.m and you're like i'm almost there you ah. are almost there." <laughs> <laughs> 53 emails i've almost got through it i promise i'm gonna get through them all yeah It's so true, that's why I check it
0: 24-7.
1: Yeah, it's so hard. And it's like, I know that there's a point where I need to stop doing that, but not right now. (laughs) Exactly, yeah.
0: Because like even one night you called and I was home cooking dinner and you're like, we don't have a gate opener, I can't get into the shop. And you live in Long Beach next to me and so you drove to my house to pick up the gate opener to drive into downtown LA to open the (sighs) door for them to have rehearsal.
1: Yeah. It's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was fun.
0: <laughs> but that's you know what it what happens. It's the life. <laughs> yeah. I get more than enough phone call. Well, I play D&D uh every other friday or so and almost everyone is theater people in the group Mm -hmm. uh artistic directors and technical directors and actors and things like that and one of them our dungeon master is the technical director and there's hardly a night goes by that he's not getting a text message about the light boards not turning on or how come this is making a noise or where did this end up and he's Oh you know, no! Do you mean a game? And quickly entering a text message, being like, "Did you check the power strip? Is it on? Is <laughs> it <laughs> plugged in?" And half the time, that's the answer. But yeah, he's it's it's almost like being on call twenty four seven. If there's an emergency, yeah. somebody has to be there to answer it.
1: I think that was also one of my breaking points too, as to why I wanted to stop stage managing, because you know I would be woken up at like two o'clock in the morning with. What is this? This is wrong information. Blah blah blah. And uh, I was like, uh yeah. oh, okay, I'll fix it right now. Uh, yeah. When and, everyone's
0: reading their rehearsal reports after you're done with yeah, rehearsal.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So I, I that was that was definitely one of one of the reasons one of the major reasons for why I wanted to stop because I was just like I it was driving me nuts. I just wanted to have a moment of being somewhat sane or knowing that my emails weren't so detrimental to the process (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah if I don't read the performance
0: report on Saturday it's still going to be there on Monday when I get in and I'll answer it and be like oh okay did you fix that or do I need to fix it now but yeah you know if it's an emergency call me if it's this door squeaking then either spray it with WD-40 or fix it on Monday yeah I'll just deal with
1: it (laughs) exactly yeah Oh, the days of stage managing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cindy gets to still deal with that. She thinks it's fun.
1: Oh, it's, you know, there are a lot of people who are just like, who are just made for it. You know, they just love it. And, you know, I I used to think that I was, and props to you, man. But I... I uh, I do love
0: it. I I thrive on it. It's very exciting.
1: Yeah. I, you know, for for my own mental health, for my own sanity, I was like, I need to... Uh, take a break step away <laughs> at yeah. least
0: <laughs> yeah yep and we'll you know, in a year be like so how's it going are you missing being in rehearsal are you missing calling yeah. shows
1: but again like i said like i'm still i'm still pretty submerged in it in a way with this job so it's pretty yeah. great yeah
0: yeah Trying to. okay look now you time. can ask your last question <laughs> i i feel satisfied <laughs> okay good i'm glad we're here to help you too <laughs> Uh, so the last question is uh, not necessarily theater related. <laughs> okay. It's, do you have any twin stories? Just because we're weird and we find it very entertaining.
1: Twin stories?
0: Yeah. Know any twins? Uh, worked with any twins? Grow up with twins? Family members?
1: Okay. So I don't have twin a twin or anything like that, but my best friend uh, would, uh, we always, even now, um, get confused for being sisters. And so we would- <laughs> We would joke around and say that we were twins. Um, and in high school, like my mom would, she would be like, "Oh God, you guys do look really similar. You guys really do look a lot alike." Uh, and so in, she didn't
0: be like, "So I never told you, right?"
1: <laughs> well, she would joke around and say like, "Oh man, I thought you guys would be separated, but you're not." <laughs> um, so in high school, there was this girl who was in a grade lower than me. I hope she doesn't listen to this. She, you don't have to say names. Uh, but she and I would be mistaken for the other person. Um, and I, we really did not look similar, though. I don't know why people confused us for the other person. Is it because you're Asian? But I really think that coming from a rich private school, with there being a majority of them being white. They just were like, oh, we're just going to lump these two Filipino girls together. She and I just did not look alike at all. <laughs> but she took it as, oh, my God, we get mistaken a lot. So she would call me her twin. And I was like, oh, no. So back in the MySpace days, right? You remember MySpace? Uh-huh. Um, she commented on my MySpace saying, hey, twin. And my best friend, <laughs> who I... You know, actually call like my twin cause she's like I love her to death and is my best friend. Um, she texts me. Did she text me or she it was AOL Instant Messenger back in these days, right? Yep. She immediately a <laughs> I, I think she IM'd me and was like, Who is this? Why is she calling you her twin? <laughs> She's,
0: like, so insulted by it. She's like, excuse me, that's
1: my title. Right? And I was like, I don't know why. It's just because of this, you know, the school. And I explained everything to her that, you know, what I just said. And she was like, ugh, she needs to stop it. But then, years later, like, I'm talking about just maybe a few months ago, she... Commented on something like, like a picture the, the just younger... out of nowhere. The younger quote unquote t- twin uh-huh. she commented on a picture of mine. I hadn't even, in years and just out of nowhere was like, Oh, you look so cute, twin. And I was
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> not, twins. We're not twins,
1: I haven't spoken to you in how long? How long? <laughs>
0: See, Stingletons do want to be twins. We yeah. understand. We're pretty cool that way.
1: <laughs> Everybody wishes they had a twin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I always would hear about like the kind of mischief or like how fun it was of just having a sibling in general. I have an only child, so... Oh, I, yeah. we're sorry. We're the weird ones.
0: You are. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not super close to our brother who is getting married soon. Um, But he's still there. And there's still the connection and the bonding and the family experiences and calling and being like, your mom's crazy. And he's like, your mom's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, you deal with her this week. like (laughs) You don't have anyone to go to and be like, you deal with them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, I wish. No, it's just, I'm just going to not say anything. <laughs> you know that Homer Simpson uh, gif where it's him like fading into the bushes? Yeah! That's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, that's
0: excellent. Okay, Twin, you good? I'm good. She's, she's I'm, knitting. I'm, I'm... She's not even looking at the computer, she's knitting. <laughs> Six. I'm paying attention though, I keep asking questions. Yeah, okay, are good. are you knitting? I'm working on a blanket right now.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
0: Okay, well, I guess we should go so I can, you know, go home and you can go home. Yes. We can follow each other down the 710 freeway home. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <definitely. laughs> Luckily, at this time, it's usually not super crowded. Oh, um, that's not too Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LA traffic.
1: Yay! Thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course, definitely. Thanks for having me. And
0: I'm going to uh, link those two books because, Twin, add those yeah. to your reading list. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have five million on your reading list, but add those to it. (laughs) Yeah, close to that, (laughs) (laughs) actually. (laughs) But but I will add those because those sound really interesting and and very educational. So those are my favorite topics. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you, Jade. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more,
1: visit our website at TwinstalkTheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twin Stock Theatre.
0: Tottle Music, Dance Macap, is provided by Kevin MacLeod of IncomTech.com under
1: Creative Commons License 3.0.